And so I just clicked one day. Like, I'm talking about games with these students all the time. We're playing the same games. They you know, get really motivated. They're willing to spend all this time just grinding it out in World of Warcraft, for example. At the time, that was a really popular game. You know, spending hours and hours and hours on repetitive tasks. What is it about these games that makes that compelling, but, you know, physics homework, not so much? And so I had the idea to transform the way I was running my classroom as a game by borrowing from, you know, all the games that we played and loved and, you know, built over a weekend, basically, a working prototype of an app. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi. I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Vice President of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumo. Today, we'll be talking about new methods being applied in education and why they are important to the way students are learning. We will also learn about Classcraft, a time-tested modern approach to education and why it has become so popular in the world of education. With that being said, we are excited to welcome Sean Young. Sean is a co-founder and CEO of Classcraft, an innovative platform that motivates students using the culture and mechanics of games. Since its launch, Classcraft has gained incredible traction with educators worldwide, providing tools to transform behavior and classroom cultures. We are excited to learn more about Sean and Classcraft. And with that, Sean, welcome. Thank you. I'm really uh, happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you. If you don't mind, I'm going to go to my go-to first question, which is always about my curiosity. And so, Sean, what led you to the work in education and why is it of interest to you now? There's a lot of ways to answer that one. I kind of accidentally fell into education. I was a teacher for 10 years, but I actually majored as a physicist. And there was just a lack of substitute teachers in my area. And I just ended up doing it and fell in love with the profession, which was kind of ironic because I was really not in love with the school. I wasn't bad at school. I was just found it quite meaningless and boring. But when I became a teacher, realized that there was a real opportunity here to create meaning for students. And that was really my mission as a teacher was to say, how can I, A, respect students' time? You know, they're forced to be here, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't, you know, respect that they're giving us their time and their attention. Sure. And how can I make this meaningful? And so, so much of my 
my my career as an educator was tied to that mission. And my first step into that was around like, how can I make really compelling experiences in the classroom from a curriculum standpoint? So physics is, it's easy to make, teach it boring, but it's also easy to teach it super fun. It is super hands-on. We were building like cannons and hot air balloons and, you know, we had nice. roller skates and all kinds of stuff. And then I realized that, you know, this part of making it meaningful is not just compelling, interesting curriculum. It's also the community, the relationships. For a lot of kids, you know, school has a function of learning content and, you know, learning the skills, the stuff you need to learn. But more importantly and more emotionally and more meaningfully for them, it's really about like who's their community? What are the social relationships that are being built there? It's a place where they go to be humans. And that's how Classcraft came about. And we can talk about that in a bit, but really was quite, quite, quite focused on making that happen, building relationships with students, building relationships between students and creating ultimately a school environment that was conducive to that happening. Was there a moment when you said, this is critical, we're missing this? What was that one moment? And could you recall that one moment? It's interesting because I got into teaching with no teaching experience, you know, or training, really. You know, I was trained as a scientist and I ended up doing a master's thesis and a graduate program while I was a teacher. So I got certified and all of that, but really started off my career with, you know, no preconceptions, I would say, other than my own experiences Mm -hmm. and what I wanted for school to be. And, you know, I think that ultimately I came into the profession believing that. Probably and mostly because really that's what made any meaning of school for me. Like, uh, you know, I, I wasn't like excited to go to school to, uh, you know. Uh, but yet you're a scientist. That's right. No, I had really good grades. Don't get me wrong. I was really good at school. I was just boring. But the relationships that I had with the teachers and really made a big difference. And like, that's why I became a physicist was because I had a really good physics teacher, you know. So I think that my own personal journey brought me there in a real way. And, and I mean, it's so interesting because when you think about school today, you know, anything kids need to learn in school they can really just learn on the internet from an academic perspective right like Mm -hmm. even high school it's all on wikipedia you know and so like what becomes the purpose of school well when you think about it you know an analogy that i like to give is like music concerts if you go to a music show you're getting the same piece of content right it's the same songs that you'll get on you know a streaming service Mm -hmm. and yet we're willing to pay you know, hundreds of dollars to go to these concerts for the exact same piece of content. And what's different is the experience. And ultimately, the experience is a social one, right? A concert's pretty boring if you're the only person there. <laughs> and ultimately, it's, you know, the all the sensory experience that is so much more elevated than just listening to a piece of you know, content through your headphones. And ultimately, that's what school needs to be now, because, you know, the content is like streaming music school needs to be like a music concert. So with that in mind, thinking about the experience, Classcraft was created, yes? Yep. Maybe I can jump into the birth of Classcraft. Yeah. Is that where you're going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's where I'm going. Thank you. Thank you, host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll self-host here. Oh my Stop. God. Stop. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. What's Classcraft? Tell us more. 
you know, on my journey of like, how do I make this meaningful? I did my master's thesis on how to use digital platforms to create community in the classroom. I wanted to see if kids interacting online outside of school around course material would create community in the classroom. And of course, you know, no surprise it did. But, you know, another part of my personality is I've been a gamer for all of my entire life. And I'm also a developer. So I, while I was teaching, I was also had a freelance business building websites and, you know, apps. And, and so I just clicked one day like I'm talking about games with these students all the time. We're playing the same games. They you know, get really motivated. They're willing to spend all this time just grinding it out in World of Warcraft, for example. At the time, that was a really popular game. You know, spending hours and hours and hours on repetitive tasks. What is it about these games that makes that compelling, but, you know, physics homework, not so much? And so I had the idea to transform the way I was running my classroom as a game by borrowing from, you know, all the games that we played and loved and, you know, built over a weekend, basically, a working prototype of an app. And it was just for me it was never going to be what it is today at the inception i was really like i'm just going to use what's motivating in games i'm going to make you know kids will have avatars they'll level up they'll learn points for you know doing things in school net them experience points that have them progress they'll unlock real life privileges so you know in a game you have the power to i don't know you can teleport yourself well what does that look like in school well maybe teleport yourself as you can go to the bathroom or you can be late to class you know we'll use this metaphor the mechanics of the game we'll build cooperative collaborative dynamics just like in these games mm -hmm. and apply that to you know the real life motions of going to school and so i just made that for three years that was it it wasn't gonna be a company it was just this thing i was doing with my students nice. but i was blown away just by how transformative it was for them you know anybody who's listening can go to the website just type classcraft you'll see how beautiful it looks but in those days there wasn't even any graphics it was more like dungeons and dragons than it was like a video <laughs> game it was just completely transformative in terms of how how students were showing up, how they were showing up for each other. You know, just the concept of being able to see your own progression, getting consistent and continuous feedback. They get points for, you know, handing in work, participating, asking good questions, being recognized and seen for the things you're doing as a student meant a lot to them. And so I made a little website to just talk about it. And the day mm -hmm. that website went online, 130,000 people came to the website wow. and started trending on Reddit overnight. Like that's a huge amount wow. of traffic for, you know, something that it wasn't even a company it was just one page that said like hey i'm doing this game maybe you should make your own game you know and then sure enough like requests started coming in of you know please you know how can i download this i'm like you can't you had to code lines of code to give kids points like it was really not to be scaled but you know at the time i got together with my brother who's a designer and a creative director and our dad is a accountant and finance person so we got together nice. and started the company you know now we're with 10 million kids in the platform teachers in 165 countries from 12 languages working with, wow. you know, really large school systems and also really tiny schools. So all over the place. But yeah, kind of all just started with that lightning bolt moment of how can I get these kids to really care? And the truth is the games are built and designed to make us care. Right. Nobody's forcing kids to play video games. <laughs> <laughs> they do it because right. they want to. <laughs> you know? That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you finding that the level of engagement is challenging sometimes or you mean in classcraft or you mean in school within classcraft and keeping the students engaged everyone has different learning abilities classcraft wants them to care right and games get us to care what's the continuum of that how do we continue for them to care and stay engaged 
there's two parts to that. The first one is that Classcraft is not a video game. So we're not proposing kids or students to, for example, you know, play this math video game. And in doing so, I'll trick you into learning, you know, fractions. That's not what's happening here. Correct. What we're saying is games are an experience that is designed Mm -hmm. to be inherently intrinsically motivating. You know, and the truism there is that, you know, almost all kids play games. 65% of North Americans play video games multiple times a week across all age groups, across all genders. You know, Candy Crush counts. It's not just, you know, (laughs) shooting games and Call of Duty. So it's a very diverse medium, but ultimately it's designed to fulfill fundamental needs that we have. And so, you know, when you think of games as a cultural medium versus other cultural mediums you know games are designed explicitly to you know allow us to fulfill our potential within you know the confines of the game and you know research around motivation is super clear on this you know we're intrinsically motivated by situations that fulfill three fundamental needs this is called self-determination theory you can look it up share more about that so it's the prevalent theory and intrinsic motivation. So motivation, mm-hmm. two types of motivations, extrinsic, intrinsic. Extrinsic mm-hmm. is I don't really want to do this thing, but I'm going to do it because I want to get to a good end state or avoid a bad end state. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really want to steal whatever's over there, but I won't do it because I don't want the punishment. Or I don't really want to do this work, but I'm going to do it because I want the money. School is really rife with those types of motivators. And the reason for that is because they're really effective short-term control mechanisms. Intrinsic motivation is I'm doing something because I want to. What's your hobby, Salvatrice? I love to entertain. All right. So you love to entertain. Nobody's paying you to do that, right? And in fact, you're paying to do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, it costs me a lot of money to entertain at the house. Yes, it does. That's right. You know, but why do you do that? You do it because it fulfills fundamental needs. One of the main fundamental needs that we have is social relationships. We're not just motivated by things we do together. We're motivated by things that we can mm-hmm. share with other people. So another example of a hobby you know, that is more solitary maybe is fishing. You would say, well, that's not mm-hmm. social relationships. But that's why they take photos and share them and mount them so that they can share their catches you know with other fishermen later and talk about it and swap stories and all of that so we're motivated by situations where there's relatability with other human beings the second one is we're motivated by situations that afford us control so any situation where we have absolutely no decision making power is really demotivating for example entertaining if i were to say hey like you're gonna make i don't know hamburgers and this is how you're going to make them and you know in fact here are all these terrible ingredients and that's what you're going to serve you would probably be a lot less motivated to do it than if you're picking out you know oh i know these guests like this type of food and i'm gonna you know match these wines with these food whatever and so being able to make these decisions, have creative control over our own destiny, super motivating. Now, of course, mm-hmm. we're also super motivated. So the third one is by situations where we feel competency. I'm motivated by situations where I feel like I'm really good at it. So you probably are a great host. Or... If I do say so myself, Sean. There you go. (laughs) I can't wait for you to invite me. Uh, But either we're motivated by situations where we're really good at them or we see meaningful progress. That's the same thing is going on in our mind. Like, I don't need to be good, but I see myself progressing. And so think about games. Games are a made-up experience. Like, my favorite example is golfing. Golfing, when you Mm -hmm. think about, like, the task Mm -hmm. of golfing, completely irrelevant to anything useful in life. Like, take this ball, put it in that hole. (laughs) Like, Salvatrice, please do that. You wouldn't 
think to take a stick and do all those things. Uh, you would probably just pick it up, yeah. walk over, you know, and you know, yeah. mission accomplished. And I'm like, great, now do that 500 times. Yeah. And then you would say, you got to pay me to do that because that's work. And and then I'd say, what? No, no, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, sorry. I forgot to tell you. This isn't work. It's fun. Uh, actually, you need to hit the ball with these sticks. They're called clubs and they're all different ones, but you're going to be able to choose the one you want. And you know what? You don't get an infinite number of shots. And by the way, like, you need to go home and change. You can't play this game dressed the way that you are. And, and what I'm doing in doing that is taking a meaningless task putting conditions mm-hmm. around it that make it meaningful mm-hmm. and in doing so you know people who love golfing you know different types of people are motivated to different degrees by different types of things but the people who love golfing they're paying their own money to go do this activity just like you with hosting right mm-hmm. it's the same with games nobody's forcing these kids to play games but we're doing it because we are connecting to other people online so it's social relationships games by definition give you a lot of control versus you know watching movies for example and games are really 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 upfront about communicating your progress and your mastery and you look at a game that's super repetitive like tetris for example tetris is a game where you just make lines and you do that until you die and then you start over and that's basically it (laughs) right one of the most played video games in the history of humanity one of the most repetitive experiences and the reason is you're just trying to beat your own score so all that to say that you know these experiences are the most compelling motivating experiences that we've ever designed video games and with classcraft what we're saying is let's take those things let's take the psychology that's behind that and let's apply it to something that is generally not motivating and for students is seen as an arbitrary forced task they see school as work let's see if we can redefine you know the rules of engagement and you know completely transform you know the way that they're perceiving the way that they're motivated and so to get all the way back to your earlier question about about do we see engagement drops, for example, in Classcraft? You know, the answer is, mm-hmm. you know, Classcraft is not this, like, you're going to be super motivated for two minutes during this day, like if you were playing a, a game. It's the mm-hmm. whole school year. And so what we're trying to do is elevate the baseline level of engagement across everything you're doing in school and so kids are getting points, you know, in the hallway, at lunch, during class. We have schools where the bus drivers are giving them points. Yeah, it's like it becomes the whole fabric of school. Sure, you know, nothing is perfectly engaging for every student all the time. But what we are doing is giving teachers the tools. And there's a whole suite of like tools they can use to create fun and engaging moments with this backdrop of... I have more control over my day-to-day life. Kids in Classcraft earn powers like being able to eat in class, hand in assignments late, you know. So they're able to control their day more. They're playing on teams and we're giving them immediate relevant feedback about what they're doing and how they're showing up. And believe it or not, kids don't get a lot of positive feedback in school. Most kids on average are getting one piece of positive feedback a week, max. Oh, that's terrible. It's horrible. And why is it terrible, right? It's terrible because, you know, we feel bad for that. But also data shows that positive feedback is, you know, the number one thing a teacher can do to help kids stay motivated and on task. And it's normal. Like kids are trying to do Mm -hmm. their best. They start off their school career as little kids trying to fit in and do what's expected of them. And Mm -hmm. we don't tell them that what they're doing is the right thing. So how are they going to know? You know, if you were learning, for example, karate, you know, I wouldn't just show you videos of karate and then let you go out. I would sit next to you and say, 
practice this punch and while you're doing it hey that's a perfect punch keep that up raise your elbow i'm giving you feedback so that you can learn and progress and unfortunately a lot of the interactions teachers are having with students are negative corrections and not celebrating their wins Mm -hmm. but actually saying shut up and sit down you're off task you didn't hand in your homework and in fact most kids just try to get through school without teachers ever seeing them and that's a shame From the faculty perspective, like, do you think that's because it's just the conditioning of the system? Do you think it's professional development? Do you think it's their bandwidth? You know, there's a bandwidth issue. I'd like to get Mm -hmm. your perspective on that because that really touched home for me, especially with two teenagers in the house, you know. I've been thinking about this question for, you know, a decade now and working with schools all (laughs) over the world. And I think that there's no single answer. So my number one answer is teaching is a risky job. And by risky, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in front of a crowd of kids. There's 30 of them and there's one of you, right? So at any moment, the tables can turn and you've literally have no control over the room. And so Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of teachers, their approach to that fact is to command and control. So, you know, they're not Mm -hmm. thinking about how can I build the best possible relationship with this child necessarily. They're thinking about how can I get all these kids to shut up and listen to me? And the problem with that is that it's a vicious cycle. Course correcting Mm -hmm. works to an extent. If you over rely on that, what happens is you lose authority pretty quickly and you need to ratchet it up. Like you need to raise the level of command and control. And so there's this dynamic that happens where, you know, teachers are caught in this spiral where the dynamic and the relationship ultimately is broken between the teacher and the students. But that's a protection mechanism. For sure. I do think that there's also history. We are unfortunately still, you know, have a legacy of a school system that was founded 150 years ago in which, you know, the teacher was the boss and, you know, they could hit with the ruler if you didn't behave. Like, that's where we started sure. from, you know. And I think also there's more and more diversity in student profiles. They're harder and harder to manage as well so Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you know the answer to all of that for me is build relationships with your students and they will follow your lead even the worst behaved students even the students that are struggling the most ultimately they need to know that teachers care about them if they're going to do anything for them so there's a lot going on but it's easy to not do it and just try to stick to the curriculum. There's a really strong pressure being put on teachers as well around less now with the pandemic that we've kind of said like, oh my God, all this mental health issues, kids are really struggling, like focus on social emotional learning, focus on student wellness. But up until 2019, teachers were getting, you've got your core standards, you need to get through all of them. You know, there's common core, you know, some states Mm -hmm. test students on state tests mandated twice a week like Mm -hmm. the amount of testing happening in america you know takes a lot of time away from you know this human dynamic so there's also like a dynamic where we really care about assessment we really care about academics and i think that's shifting i think we're kind of having a bit of a wake-up moment here in in 2022 Mm -hmm. in that regard there's a lot it's it's just a complicated question but the data is super clear. Sure. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I uh, know. Are you kidding? As you can <laughs> see, I'm super passionate about this. And it's interesting because, yeah. you know, this is the Future of Work podcast. And when you think That's about right. future of work and 
what the workplace looks like and Gen Z workers in the workplace. That's what they expect. They expect their employer to build a relationship with them. They expect to, you know, be respected and taken care of. And if they don't get that, they walk. And we're seeing a lot of, you know, young people moving a lot. And, and ultimately, you know, there's a lot of factors at play there. But there is an expectation where the best employers are the ones that are able to build a community. And, you know, I think workplaces today and they're morphing more and more into that are ultimately defined by you know set of culture and values it's such a big you know theme in how to retain mm -hmm. employees like the number one thing is culture and ultimately mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying is it's the same thing in schools it's true in work but it is true in schools as well today. And so, you know, I think that there's a shift societally happening where we're realizing that, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not productive. You know, just like in the workplace, it's not productive right. to put super hard pressure, not care about employees, be rude to them. They're going to leave. You're going to get less output. You're going to have mental health breakdowns. Like you can get turnover, all That's these right. things that are metrics that are actually attached to these mm -hmm. warm and fuzzy things that are human relationships. So, right. Speaking of human relationships and the culture, that's really important. We forget that the culture within the classroom is just as important as the culture within the institution itself or with another employer. Or I got to be honest with you, I've never heard someone say the culture in the classroom. I mean, that's how I equated it, right? It's the experience. And that is, right? I'm sad you've never heard anybody say that. <laughs> means we still have evangelizing to do, you know? <laughs> Yes, yes. No one really talks about it. It's more about output yeah. and what's being done for output mm -hmm. purposes, but not necessarily what we're talking about, like the generations, specifically for community colleges. You know, we have multi-generations yeah. within one classroom. I had a follow-up question, then I asked you a tangent question. So welcome to Salvatrice's world. When you say the word kids, who are you referring to? Yeah, I'm like young people that are in like school. High school, middle school. Like no, I mean, we work across, you know, kindergarten all through college. It's the same platform. Fantastic. Obviously, what you get points for changes and, you know, the privileges you get sure. change mm -hmm. in elementary school. Sitting in the beanbag chair is the privilege. In late high school, it's like handing in your homework late is a great okay. privilege. So that changes, but the mechanics don't change. Like we need feedback. We need to be you know positively praised. We need to be in contact where peers are helping each other out. Like in Classcraft, there's a feature where students can give each other points. It's called kudos. And it's basically, you know, you write a little note. The teacher has to approve it because otherwise they could write, you know, you're a jerk or whatever. So they write a little note, they identify a behavior and they send it to somebody. And can you believe that Classcraft is one of the only ways for students to publicly and in a structured way give each other positive feedback. It's not just wow. the teachers as well. We're not giving kids, you know, and I'm saying like learners, let's just say learners, we're not giving uh -huh. learners the capacity to recognize each other either. And when you think about culture, mm -hmm. like wouldn't you rather be in a classroom where your peers are looking at, you know, seeing what you do and, and celebrating you for mm -hmm. it? Like that's how you stop mm -hmm. bullying. You make it really cool to right. praise people as opposed to yeah. make it cool to pick on people. 
And I think that's true for you know, elementary school kids. You mentioned community college. Like, you know, a college classroom in a community college is a very diverse group, usually, I would imagine. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, the best yeah, workplaces. Yeah. And everybody who works in a specific company has chosen that company for the most part. Especially in today's mm-hmm. workplace. A lot of jobs out there. You've decided to work there. Maybe because it's convenient. Maybe because you care about the mission. Maybe because it's nearby. But you picked it. And everybody who's there, no matter how different they are, they've bought into that organization. And it's the same thing with a class in a community college. You pick that class. You decided to be there. You have some sort of interest in this topic and you live in the same neighborhoods, you know, or within a hundred mile radius of this place. So... Although these groups are so different, these people are so different, they do have a lot in common. And be it, you know, you're at the same place at the same moment. And there's a huge missed opportunity there to create community around that. And when you look at, you know, dropout rates in college, online MOOCs is another good example of this, where, you know, these are these massively online courses where, you know, you can watch a video, take a course from Stanford or whatever, but there's no community. The drop-off rates in a MOOC are like 95% on average the completion rate of those courses even if they're free even if they're world quality are super low because we need to be part of a community and feel supported as we're learning we don't learn in a vacuum i would even go as far as saying that that directly affects our enrollment right exactly so i had like five different things pop in my head as i'm saying this so that's why i paused you know enrollment is let's call it what it is it's an issue across the board Just like employee retention rates. Yeah, that's right. So it's all across the board, across all levels of education, all institutions, all universities, all primary, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we talk a lot about how do we get more students in? How do we get more students in specifically within Mm -hmm. community colleges? Because that's what I know. That's my frame. Rarely are we talking about the experience and rarely are we talking about like, how are we ensuring that the experience that they receive is a tool for them to onboard with us. We, you know, we have services, we have resources, a plethora of them. I mean, we, we have an amazing menu of resources and services, you know, but for us, I think that for a system of community colleges, I love, love the fact about how Classcraft is initiating, guiding, cultivating this new culture within a classroom that is all the things that you just shared about positivity, about engagement, about how we're learning, about motivation, about, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank. Like listening to you makes me think if we as a system really wanted to have some significant changes in the way we onboard new students and retain the students, we really have to put a lot of focus and attention in the experience mm-hmm. in the classroom that we may not have had in the past. You know, I share that putting it out in the universe that we as a system really think about the experiences in the classroom the resources are there. The talent is there. The services are there. Well, in reframing our responsibility as educators, you know, our tagline is relationships are everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. like when I think about, I taught college for a few years as well. Um, you know, I was teaching pre-service teachers, you know, how to, how to become educators. Mm-hmm. And it was so fascinating to me because people were like, oh, I used to teach high school. You know, it must be so different. I'm like, you know what? It's not different at all. (laughs) 
they're just older <laughs> by a few years, but it's the yeah. same thing. And everything that served me in a high school classroom of putting relationships first and you know, making sure that you know, learners are going to have bad days. There's days where you're, you know, less sure. motivated. That's normal. But that in general, you want to be in this class. Like if I can make that, I'm going to make sure that most days you're happy to be here. Then I can get a lot done. I can get a lot yeah. done because then I'm not That's fighting right. with you. I'm, and I can say, hey, you're having a bad day. Mm -hmm. You know what? Like, why don't you step out? And then the learner will say, well, no, I really want to be here. And I'm like, okay, well, they make that choice, you know, as opposed right. to like, hey, like you're disengaged. You're not listening to me, like blah, 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 blah. And then like, I don't want to be here. It's really hard to do anything with that. And when I think about college and when I was teaching these first year, you know, students went on to be teachers and they're still writing me like, hey, look at my classroom. And, you know, I only taught them for one semester. But I think that it's just a very real need. And and I don't think students know, but that's what they're looking for. You know, they want the degree and they want to learn stuff, but ultimately, right. you know, they're going there because they want a community. And, right. and I think it's our responsibility to acknowledge that and make it meaningful. There's money behind it. So like, why not? Let's like, there's KPIs tied to that retention <laughs> rates and turnover, like, you know, completion rates, right. like metrics we care about are directly tied to this. So like, why are we not making this a priority? That's right. You know, well, I tell you what, this has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Sean. And I have to ask you my favorite question because I ask it at every single podcast episode. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. This is a Future of Work podcast. I need you to tell me if there's one thing, this might be difficult, and I feel like you've already mentioned it, but I'm not going to tell you what it was. But if there's one thing you would like our listeners to kind of understand about what we've talked about and how it impacts them mm. and their future, what would that be? Oh, man. Well, there's a lot. Depends where you're sitting. But regardless, <laughs> you know, for me, you know, and this is true for future of work. It's true for K-12. It's true for the present day of work. Mm -hmm. I think no matter where we're going and I think about future of work and, you know, there's like there's AI and there's Industry 4.0 and genetics and so many million jobs are going to disappear in the next five years and so many million more. You know, the upskilling, reskilling problem is massive. But at the end of the day, I really do believe that organizations where human beings that are evolving within organizations and regardless what our job is and regardless what the future of the structure of those organizations is the community element built into that the culture the relationships at the core of that aren't going to change ai is going to change things you know all these self-driving cars no more trucking you know like all these different things are going to be coming climate change like there's so much uncertainty but one thing that is a truism and is constant and won't change is the importance that positive relationships have in how we show up are motivated individually and in how we can motivate and lead others and i think we need to be thinking mm -hmm. about that in how we you know show up with one another but more than that, as leaders, we need to be thinking about what experiences are we designing for these human beings. That's what Classcraft is doing for school. That's what Classcraft is doing as an organization internally with our own staff. And every organization should be thinking about what is the experience of you know my employees, my stakeholders, my community in regards mm -hmm. to what I'm putting out in the world. You know, Classcraft is a B Corp and, you know, that super interesting, you can look it up, but it's certification uh -huh. that we've legally taken a commitment to not just our shareholders, but also our stakeholders. And that's everybody we interact with. And, you know, I think more and more companies, even if they're not B Corps, need to be thinking about it from that lens. 
what is your responsibility to the different stakeholders mm -hmm. you serve? And that doesn't mean don't go make money. Shareholders are part of your stakeholders, but you're out in sure. the world doing things. There's people at the other side of that, and we need to be keeping that first and foremost. What a beautiful way to conclude the episode. Thank, Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that. Thank you. This has been lovely. And please share our gratitude to Laura and your co-founder as well. Classcraft is amazing. And I hope that our listener connects with you. So classcraft.com, you can find out all about it. Very easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the easiest way if you want to reach me directly. But, sure. you know, so much more about everything I've been talking about is directly available on our website. If you know any teachers, you, know, you can invite them to try the platform. The number one reason for teacher turnover right now in America is student behavior. So if you know a teacher, they probably need Classcraft. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so Thank much, you, Sean. Valatrice. Have a great rest of the day. And I look forward to chatting again soon. I would love to. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.